So Dave, you were uh, born in 1965, uh, 56, sorry. 56, yeah. Um, how did your adventure in music start? And in particular, late uh, 60s, early 70s, how did that music reach you? Uh, you know, it was a good time. Uh, music was making a lot of noise. It was making more noise than it had previously before in history because youth culture was making a big noise. It was still part of the baby boom. So I would say, you know, I mean, I wasn't there for Elvis Presley and all that stuff, but that made a big noise. But the Beatles made a really big noise all over culture, outside of teen culture and into adult culture. And for a while there, music seemed to have a lot of answers that nothing else had. Like the media didn't have it. Movies didn't have it. The TV didn't have it. They were way behind the times in the 60s. I think a lot of people don't remember this, but Hollywood was not having a good time. TV was struggling. It had their audience, but it was a mainstream thing. There was nothing speaking for that great mass amount of kids that came out that were born in the 50s. Right. So music kind of had a secret language. And it got big and everyone started looking at it. So the music came to me through first through the radio, mainstream radio, but then even mainstream radio started changing radically in the late sixties. And then there was FM radio, which was used to be just college stuff, but they played full albums, which no one had ever done before. And the, and the music started getting freaky, <laughs> like really like in a very short amount of time, I'd say between like 1965. And I think I was, I don't know how old I was seven or something. Um, music went from like, surf music and the Beach Boys and some Beatles hits to Black Sabbath, King Crimson, and Yes. So that's a big change in music. I mean, music doesn't change that fast now. Right. It was a very interesting period in general, both, um, I would say, culturally and then obviously as a result musically, because you had the, the Haight-Ashbury kind of uh, thing that was coming up in the on the West Coast. Yep. You had... Um, the dominance of the or the importance of the civil right, uh, rights movement and uh, going into the Vietnam War. There was a lot of uh, counterculture or reason to, to go against kind of the mainstream at that time. Yeah. So, so how did music uh, aid in that in a way, and especially for you? It, it was music was the primary language of the counterculture. Um, it's it's possible to overstate how important it was. So of course, there were art and there were zines, magazines, mm -hmm. but there weren't that many magazines yet. The What was going on in music was the main message, the artwork in the albums, the lyrics in the, in the music, and the music itself being like all of a sudden going from lyrical topics like Boy Meets Girl and Let's Dance to you know, let's go meet God with LSD, you know, just insane, insane shit, you know, and revolution. I think that the music brought people to talk about things that were being brought up in the news. And there was an understanding amongst the people that listened to music that perhaps they knew better than anybody else what was going on. Now, you know, they were probably wrong half the time, but it was sure fun, like doing it. Sure. You really thought like, Back then, you really thought you knew what you were doing. 
You know, you had an armful of albums. There weren't that many bands out. There's not as many bands as today. So everything counted. You know, everything seemed to count. It, like I said, it was a really, really cool time and, and, and weird because the music was out front, but the music was, you know, uh, ambiguous. You know, it's not exactly telling you the kind of music that was coming out there wasn't exactly telling you what to do or how to feel. It was just expressing an artistic, almost like a painter. I feel paranoid. I feel happy. I, so you kind of leaned into it and go, what is this feeling? Identify with the feeling and go. I, I remember a friend of mine, you know, asking me once in like 1970 or something like, how do you feel? And I go, I feel like side two of the first Black Sabbath album. <laughs> Like, that's how you feel? I was like, yeah. Right. Is, is, is there maybe one uh, show or, or uh, maybe even an album like Black Sabbath uh, music? Is, is there something that stood out to you in that time that really changed your perspective or that really hit you? Um, when I was young, meaning like 11, you know, before I really started buying albums, mm -hmm. um, I started buying albums like 1969. So this would be 68. I was like 11 years old. And the song Incense and Peppermints came on the radio. It was by a band called the Strawberry Alarm Clock. Mm. Now, it was cheap, psychedelic ripoff crap, but it had a fuzz tone to it, a fuzz guitar, which I had never heard before. To me, it was like the only time I had heard fuzz before was in uh, the Rolling Stones, like uh, Satisfaction. But this fuzz was really nasty. It really had a mean tone. It was <laughs> sounded like everything was broken. And it did not sound like anything else on the radio. And my little ears were like, this is badass. Like this, th I want this, you know? And then next year, uh, Led Zeppelin came out and did, you know, I heard a communication breakdown on the radio. I was like, what's this sound? Hmm. And what I find interesting, because uh, kind of uh, fast forward, forwarding to uh, a better dystopia, what I find interesting um, about this era of music Um, there are some artists and songs that, that stood the test of time or that made it for some reason. And there's yeah. a lot of uh, music that didn't make it for, for some reason. I mean, yeah. who, who knows? But, but what, for, what for you, how is the legacy? So Because so, I wasn't alive uh, back then. How is right. that time remembered? Is it, is it just kind of the big bands that survived that, that kind of can write the history of that era? Or... or Was the uh, era more and more um, dominated by all those obscure little bands like, <clears throat> like you've uh, added on the album? I would say that definitely history has proven that the, it's the big bands that, are, that people remember. Mm. They don't remember the little ones because, oh, one thing, I mean, you know, classic rock radio and people like that, I think, did the wrong thing and only took a short playlist from those days and made that classic rock. So yeah. if you listen to any classic rock radio, even when you were a kid, classic rock radio was kind of bullshit. I mean, how many times are you going to play Us and Them by Pink Floyd? And you don't have to play it 900 times. You could play deep cuts from all the rest of those albums, but that's the way history goes. Um, plus things were moving so fast back then that if something didn't catch right on, the world was moving so fast and making changes. Music and musical styles changed almost every six months to a year. Okay. Like it was not like it is today. Like if you look at pop music today, 2021, 
it's not that much different than it was in 2010. You know, it's it's Rihanna, it's Baba, mm-hmm. you know, it's another name, but it's still boop up, boop up, me, 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 me. Back then, you know, I mean, after after the Beatles did like Sgt. Pepper and stuff, and Bob Dylan came out, the sounds, even the pop radio sounds change a lot. Mean guitar tones, weird lyrics, ambiguous lyrics. Um, so I think the bands that we're talking about, especially the ones I'm talking about, they never had a chance. They were mixed up in this crazy world that was changing literally every six months to a year. And interesting to note, just two years after I'm talking about this, disco came in and blew everything away. <laughs> right. Well, you know, this is just only this this time I'm talking about on Better Dystopia. That's really only about four years of music. Right. Well, that's that's very interesting because, well, especially well after disco, like you said, that's that's kind of when it stopped. Then, but were there bands in that period that you think uh, deserved more attention now? Yeah. Oh, definitely. One of them, uh, a couple of them are on this album. One is Hawkwind, which have survived a long time through sheer tenacity. Those guys just keep playing. Those guys should have been, I thought, should have been way bigger. I mean, they brought concept, hardcore concept, means pulp science fiction to rock, which I didn't think was possible. But they really, really had this thing, you know, their own sound, minimalist sound. If the world was cooler, Hawkwind would have been bigger. Um, there was another band called Dust that's on this record, hard rock band. That really pushed the hard rock thing. I mean, most hard rock bands back then sounded like <clears throat> very much so. And it's not a bad thing, but they sounded like either Cream, Black Sabbath, or Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple or something. Mm. But these guys, Dust didn't sound like any of those bands, yet they were a hard rock band. I thought they pushed the, their medium ahead. Didn't sell any. You know, uh, just why, why, why do you think that was? There's a lot of commercial concerns because, you know, right. top mainstream radio at that time was starting to go softer. So while hard rock was popular and getting more popular, it only reached a certain thing. The whole mainstream of the world through commercial radio was really going... You know, something we've had enough for the 60s. We want to calm down. So all of a sudden, Crosby, Sills, Nash, and Young, James Taylor, and Carol King, mellow rockers came out and go, oh, everybody calm down. We just had a bad 10 years. You know, we just had a bad, right. crazy 10 years of riots. Let's soothe everybody. But the kids that were born a little later, like me, we were kids during the riots and stuff. So we didn't know. We wanted... You know, you know, this right. we wanted Sabbath and Zeppelin and, and Hawkwind and stuff like that. So that's what happened to those hard rock bands. And eventually hard rock found their place, but in a lot more commercial thing. Like it finally settled into like Aerosmith, Kiss, sure, Cheap Trick, stuff like that. Stuff that was easier for the radio to handle. The radio couldn't handle any of the stuff I'm talking about. The radio could never handle. And I would argue till the, uh, to this day, there's there's only a limited limited um, scope of type of music being played on the radio. So as, as someone who's been in the music industry and has uh, experienced all this stuff, um, how distracting is kind of like the business side to, to the art side? Horribly distracting. The worst. The worst. It's like a deal with a devil. Mm. I made a deal with the devil and I knew it. To do what I want to do my whole life, I have to deal with this thing that I absolutely hate, which is 
having to please people I don't know. It's disgusting. But, you know, I took it on and I managed to navigate through it. But, yeah, I mean, in my band, in Monster Magnet Land, in this fourth dimension that I created in my head, <clears throat> I was always outside of the business mm-hmm. and outside of all that ugly stuff. I never really dreamed of conquering the world with my rock band. I just dreamed of living in my dimension for as long as I could. Mm. And that means playing to people who like it, ignoring the people who don't and not going around begging people who don't like it to like it. That's the worst part. Yeah. How, how good is it then uh, to kind of segue back to the album? Um, To have a song uh, or a band like Table Scraps, uh, which is a relatively oh, modern yeah. band, to, to have that similar attitude of, the, of that time and to, to create kind of that sound, what is the, does that give you confidence for the future? Yeah, it makes me jump up and down like an idiot. I mean, when I first heard those guys uh, four years ago or whatever, I was just like, holy shit, this is, you know, this is like rock and roll. You know, it, it, it doesn't, it's not pretentious. It's not trying to be part of any scene. It wasn't particularly um, internet meme It wasn't, they weren't wusses. They were real songwriters. And that's the thing. They were real songs. And uh, they were funny and they were, and they were good. They were nasty when they had to be. It was like a real band. Mm. I went nuts when I heard them. I was like, thank God there's, you know. I mean, there's other good bands around. And sure, of course, sure. there's always good music. But those guys in particular really made me jump up and down. So I asked them to be on tour. I was like, please come out and tour with us. And then what, did you ask them to cover their song? Oh, and yeah. And I asked them. And well, first they came out on tour with us. Mm. And, and, and then when this album came up during Corona, that's why the album came up. Right. COVID. I was thinking of the songs to cover and I just couldn't get that song motorcycle out of my head. And I was like, I got to cover it. It's good. And is, is it the same then with, with the other songs that ended up on the album? Were they just uh, either songs from your uh, from memory, from your childhood, or songs that you just couldn't kind of get out of your head? Yeah. I mean, all the rest of the songs have been with me for years and years, mostly since most of the songs you hear on that record, I bought bought those songs when they came out. Okay. That's how long ago it was, you know? So I remember buying that Hawkwind album and the dust and all that stuff the week they came out. And, okay. uh, but Motorcycle was the only one that was a new song. Mm-hmm. But it seemed to fit in fine for the album. What were you looking for in terms of this, this compilation of songs? Because I can imagine you have uh, a lot more songs in your mind as well from that era dude there's there's so many um <laughs> and there's so many songs that a lot of people haven't heard right you know there's a whole like bunch it, it, just in that four-year period it was it was kind of a twilight zone of music um stuff came out it was released by major record companies but it wasn't promoted mm-hmm. it just kind of fell out there so It wasn't really the underground, but it just laid on the ground and nobody heard it because rock was, again, rock was changing, you know. Um, the radio was going for more uh, accessible stuff and they left a lot of the freaks on the ground. Right. And, and 
you know, I love all kinds of music. I even love James Taylor and all that. I, I love music from that time. But I feel like, uh, like the freaky stuff has been uh, ignored. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there could be reasons for that. People thought it was stupid or too druggy or whatever. But I don't think it has much to do with the drugs. It has to do with just a, there was a time period in the world where your imagination was rewarded. Um, uh, it, it, it was, people were rooting for people to use their imagination as much as they could. Go crazy. That's what it said. Go crazy. Don't think about the money. Paint the craziest painting you've ever, you've ever painted. Make the craziest music. That's what we want. You know, we want that. There were radio stations that didn't make a lot of money, but wanted to play stuff mm-hmm that was outside of uh, commercial concern. And uh, it was a cool time. Yeah, that, that's, that's one of the things I, I, I've, I've been speaking to a lot of musicians over the years, and that's one of the things that I don't like about this era of music where uh, I don't think bands get to experiment a lot. Um, I heard from the back in the 70s, that, like you said, money wasn't an issue. Just go make the best album that you can make. And if it sucks, yeah. at least you've worked through it. And that yeah. doesn't, now it has to be kind of a, a, a bankable thing. It has to be a sure thing. It feels. You know, and, and it feels like that to me. And, you know, that's, of course, that's not true mm-hmm. because we have internet democracy. I mean, there's, it's so weird, man. Right. Um, it's a weird time. Here we have, on one hand, we have the tool to make albums cheaper than ever before. And we have an audience that's the whole world. There's more outlets for music than ever before. In fact, there's more bands than ever before. Why are the bands, why do the bands all sound the same? Because they're still going by the old, old method of you have to go towards commercial success because if you're not commercially successful, you're a loser. Mm. There's not a lot of rewards for art and adventure in the internet world. I mean, like... The internet world is for consumers only. It's not mm-hmm. for creators. Consumers rule the internet. They get to choose what superheroes are in their movies. They go on the internet and they vote with Disney. I want Iron Man to be in the next Thor movie. Blah, blah, blah. It has nothing to do with the creators at all. Right. It's all about fans getting what they want. And it's all about people talking about what they want, what they like, and what they don't like. There's not a lot of real listening going on. In the 21st century, it seems more about talking than it is about listening. Right. Well, definitely in terms of politics and, and social media. But, also- but social media is everything. I mean, right. no, it, nobody sells music any other way than social media. Right. And they can't. There's nowhere to do it, you know? Well, talking about technology then, because uh, obviously recording equipment and all that stuff has, has changed quite uh, dramatically since the, yeah. since the 60s and 70s. Did you do anything uh, special to approximate that, that sound in a way? I just followed my ears. You know, I mean, it's all recorded digitally. Okay. You know, I mean, I would love to record it on tape and all that stuff, but actually that's expensive now. Right. Yeah. Note that equipment hardly is around anymore. Right. I, I would have loved to have done it on tape, do it the real way, but we recorded on a small computer. Um, 
And I just tried to follow my ears to what sounded correct mm. to the vibe of the song. You know, so it's like, eh, sounds a little bit too dig. I, I'd say that a lot. Eh, sounds a little bit too digital high end. Like roll off some of the high end or um, clear up the bass. And then, oh, don't clear it up that much. It sounds too good. And well, one thing I also find found interesting, you mentioned in, in your kind of track uh, by track thing that, that you with certain songs now, I, I can't remember which one it was, but the, the way the vocalists used to sing, there, there was a certain uh, way of pronunciation and pronunciation. Totally. Man, it's great. Nobody sings like that anymore. Well, when you said the, the one name that came to mind, who kind of, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but who, who, to me feels sings still like that is Jack White a little bit. Absolutely. That, uh... Absolutely. Jack White hasn't forgotten. He knows he's, you know, he knows. And he has that blues background as well. So that's maybe where it's from. Totally. I mean, you listen to those, those White Stripes records and that's all classic rock. I mean, you know, mm. it's like, I know people called it, well, it's new. It's, it's like, it's just good is what it is. And because the guy knows his blues, he, he knows his blues. And I think that's, that's the difference between um, old hard rock and heavy metal. Is that heavy metal doesn't hardly contain any blues in it at all, but hard rock does. Right. And did you did you have to because going through these songs and having been with them uh, for so long, did you kind of try to use a different approach with your own voice, or did you kind of think about or learn something about your voice? Yeah, I learned a lot. I mean, it's like I learned more about my voice singing those songs than I've learned about my voice in 20 years. Mm -hmm outside the comfort zone right you know like oh shit now i gotta not sound like the guy but i have to at least be as good as that guy and and these were so i walked up and i was nervous about it too i know i don't want to suck you know sure. like, I, the last thing you want to do is get a really good cover version of a song and then have the vocals fail because that's what happens on most cover records you know it's like yeah it was good except The vocals aren't as good as the original. Mm. So I was like, oh, man, I mean, you better put your heart and soul into it. So I learned a lot about singing, or I kind of relearned a lot of stuff about it. Which song was the most challenging for you to do justice? Um, Dust. Okay. Uh, learning to die, because it was so high. Mm. It was just a, like a, a tactical problem, meaning my voice is not a 21-year-old voice. You know, right. it's like, that's a 21-year-old. When you listen to the original Dutch, you're like, that guy's 21 years old. <laughs> There's no way after, you know, years of this, and now my voice like this, you know, I'm singing like this. And he didn't sing like that. So I had to, like, just, uh, just go in there and do it not more than two times. I just was like, I'm going to try it. That was the hardest to hit. The notes, but all the rest of the stuff came quite easy because I was having so much fun doing it, you know. Right. And I picked the songs, and, and I kind of knew for most of the songs, I picked them with my voice in mind, knowing that uh, maybe I could probably pull this off. Okay. Well, were, did you base your selection on lyrics as well, or was it mostly musical and kind of the energy of the song? Kind of the energy of the song, mm -hmm. and uh, and sometimes the chord structure meaning that the, some of the chord structures in the songs are very similar, so they would fit in good together. Mm. And uh, my main thing in the record is that I wanted it to sound like not a covers record. 
I wanted right. to sound like a monster magnet record first that just happened to be written by other people. Right. You know, so like, okay, here's a new monster magnet record. What is it? Oh, it's, it's got all these songs. Oh, and they were written by other people instead of, okay, here's a new covers record that happens to be by monster magnet, you know, cause that's dangerous for your band. Right. Well, you mentioned in the beginning that, that you, uh, didn't really want to write new songs. Uh, has the yeah. lockdown had any effect on your creativity or kind of at least the, the writing aspect of it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, <clears throat> at, at the point where we did A Better Dystopia, the covers record, I didn't feel like writing because I had just gotten off the tour. Uh, we just got, our, actually, our, our two-month tour got split in half by Corona. And you, you played here in Europe, right? You you finished yeah. here in Europe. And we were like the, the last band out. I mean, <laughs> we played Italy. We played Milan two days before oh, Milan. Wow. Two days before it went down. And we spent our last week in Spain. And Spain went down like three days after we got home. Right. And so I got home. And, of course, the America tour was canceled. And I was like, well, we got to do a record right away. But I don't have anything written. I, I plan to be on tour half the year. So, um Let's just let's do this cover record now. And then after I got involved with that and did all that, and that was really fun. And now it's time for me to write. And I got to say, I'm like, I don't feel like writing. There's nothing to write about. It's like, what am I going to do? Write about Corona? <laughs> this sucks. Right. So I'm getting my head together and I'll, I'll write about something. Fair else. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I wanted to get into is... Um, the live playing element of these songs because uh well let, let me start with this how many of these bands that are ended up on the album did you see live personally oh not that many i saw hawkwind hmm. um many times well you, you were still quite young but then i don't know yeah. and i wrote uh, most of the dates next to it but um, um now i think hawkwind And, and I think Hawkwind and Table Scraps are the only bands I, out of that list that I saw alive. Okay. Because I, I wonder, well, I've, I've heard, it's, it's interesting, uh, the story you told about uh, Hawkwind and kind of that experience going to their shows when you were a teenager. My dad has an almost exact uh, similar story when he was Oh, younger. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just with the girl coming on stage, they locked the doors behind them, that kind of stuff. And... Dude, it was, it was great. <laughs> really But, good. Well, let me let me do it a little bit differently then. How would you describe that era of live shows? What were those live shows like? And not specifically Hawkwind, yeah. but those that, that era of live shows. Yeah, I saw lots of bands back then. I mean, I saw Slade, Alice Cooper. I just didn't see these happen. But I was there. You know, I started going to shows in 72. So Slade, Alice Cooper, Bachman Turner, Overdrive, you know, Hawkwind, New York Dolls. Iggy and the Stooges, um, you know, Uriah Heep, all that stuff. The shows were darker. Mm -hmm. uh, lights were different back then. They weren't the super, super clear halogen lights that you have now. So the shows were darker, richer in color. They were old stage lights. So they looked, shows looked different. Um, they were deeper colors, but less clear. So when you look from the stage, you couldn't, you could see what people look like, but they all look like they were kind of like Photoshopped or something, you know? Um, 
it was cool. The sound was not as good as it is today, but it was louder because uh, there was no DB limits and nobody gave a shit. They didn't think about right. that. Um, so there was that. And the whole vibe of the thing was different because smoking was allowed. So the places were filled with smoke and pot smoke. And um, uh, funnily enough, it wasn't like a, it, it, if it wasn't a, uh, a festival show, they ha- you all had seats. So it was before that festival, they call festival seating now. So everyone had seats. And most of the shows were held in these theaters. Okay. Um, these old vaudeville theaters that were built around the turn of the last century. They held about 2,000 people. Right. So everything had a cool look. There was an old fashioned stage with curtains. And if the band had a light show, light shot, the show, of course, was all analog. So it had that weird kind of wonky kind of kind of weird thing. Um, it was awesome. I mean, I had no problem. I had no problem with it at all. I, of course, to me, that was state of the art technology. Shows got better and they got clearer. Um. And the sound got better, but the vibe didn't necessarily get better. And, uh, and I think some of the wildness of the in- environment was taken away when they started, you know, basically telling people to, you know, don't smoke or don't do this. But surprise, there was no violence at the shows or anything like that. People were really into it. Like, like I was saying, the, the focus on music when I was a kid was really, really on the music. It wasn't on the crowd. There was no crowd surfing or stuff. Like, nobody would even think of crowd surfing. It was like, this isn't for you. Like, this show is for you to watch. It's not for you to be involved in. You know, it's like, you watch, you know? You watch this and walk away with an idea. Um, Crowd surfing only came in, like, after punk rock. And I was there for punk rock, too, so I watched all this stuff happen. But, uh, yeah, if I prefer... One over the other, I think probably that was the most interesting time to watch bands. Well, because one thing, the reason why I ask is one thing I have uh, with modern live shows, even though, like you said, that the audio is quite good. And, and I've always felt that it, it, it feels too formal almost. It feels too contrived in a way. It is. And you feel that because you're a smart person and you know, it's like, you feel like you've seen this movie before. Right. And this is a prepackaged thing. And that's what rock started to become even when I was young. I mean, that's why punk rock happened. You know, punk rock happened as a result of by the time the mid-70s came around. This is only a couple of years after I had experienced all this stuff. Rock and everything. Disco came in and FM rock started making money and things started becoming commodified. And all of a sudden the whole world knew about rock instead of that counterculture world only. It became more commodified and people made more money. You flash ahead all the way to now. And now it's like, a, you know, I mean, I, I shouldn't complain about it, but yeah, it's just a regular business and everybody can go and you see your parents at the shows. And it's like, in, in, when I was a kid, if someone my age walked into the show, they would think I was a cop. <laughs> It'd be like, there's a policeman here. You know, it's like they weren't allowed. Like old people weren't allowed. It was kids only. And uh, it was, uh, you never knew what was going to happen. And it was very, very, you were very, very much on your own in a community of like-minded people that were, um, that were serious about what they were 
taking away. Mm. It wasn't a party. It was a concert. Right. Well, to round off then, and to kind of uh, bring this interview for, uh, full circle, we mentioned kind of the political uh, and socio-cultural climate of that age, and, and that we have seen similar things in, in recent years. So do you think that's... I know. Do you think that attitude is, is returning? Or do, do, do you see some of that um, wildness? I don't know if that's the yeah. uh, right way to describe it, but, but, but kind of that wildness... Uh, knocking at the door i was hoping for it you know i was hoping for it like if, if i had to look for one good thing with trump coming in i mean i couldn't just go oh my god the world's going to hell i was like all right so trump comes in he's an absolute idiot and a madman mm. um so maybe this will make rock cool again you know maybe there'll be a pushback through art and music but the pushback didn't come through art and music it came through talking mm. um that's my main concern about the future of art and music is that it's taking a, it, it seems to be taking a back seat to people's words mm. because people are allowed to. And because, I mean, because it's, it's there, they have social media, they get they're in constant contact with each other. People are talking way more now than they ever talked before. I mean, people talk 24 hours a day. If they're not talking, they're typing. But I consider typing talking. So if you're doing that four hours a day, when are you going to sit down and listen to the, all four sides of Rick Wakeman's journey to the center of the earth? Or when are you going to let down and actually let your mind go with the music? When are you going to sit there and look at art books for three hours in a row without doing? That's what's happening. People aren't going to art. They're going to themselves and their own expression of how they feel about everything instead of letting art do it for them, mm. which I think is a big mistake because guess what? The majority of people in this world are not talented. <laughs> I well, it's, it's, yeah, it's the truth. <clears throat> I hate to say it, man, but you know what I mean? It's like uh, I'd rather be entertained by a, a very small group of really talented people than to sit there and listen to a billion untalented people give their opinion on things that I don't give a shit about. Mm. It doesn't matter. It's like they got it all wrong. They think modern people think that they matter in these things, but they don't. Things are going to happen anyway. The people who are in power and are going to do things, they're going to do just like all throughout history. They're going to do what they do. The best thing people could do for themselves is to keep one eye on the politics But another really strong eye and the bigger eye on just moving through life and being as happy as they possibly can. And you share that happiness with the people around you. And that's how you build out goodness, right. not by screaming and ranting and, and burning, you know. Um, and it leaves time for appreciation of art and dreaming, which I think is another thing that's going away. Um, there's not a lot of, you know, you really, really have to pull back from all this stuff in order to dream. You know, how can you unlearn? How can you unsee things after you see them, you know? Right. And there's a lot to see. Well, final question then, because what yeah. you've just mentioned, what, what I like about um, 
the more heavier music side, the, the, the more metal, hard rock uh, side, is, it feels, and it, again, this is just my opinion, it, but it feels like people who listen to that kind of music are a lot lot more involved than, than kind of the people that listen to mainstream pop music. They, they like the artwork, they're into the artwork. Like you say, they, they oh. will sit down and listen to a full album. And, and so how have you over the years kind of seen this crowd and, and your own crowd? Well, for one thing, I mean, those crowds are are much different from most other crowds because, yeah, they they're in it for a, they're in it for a transportive experience. They, I think, they want their artists to uh, they 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 like their art and their artists to transport them, like take me away in this big rush of volume and speed. Take me, you know, take me in your arms and uh, shake me around. Like, do it. I, I, I'm willing. I want to experience something. Um, when the dance kids and stuff, they really want more music to be as an adjunct to their personality. I feel like dancing this way. I feel like dancing this way. I feel like sipping on Tricka. I feel like doing ecstasy. And here's my music. Um I could say narcissistic, but people would blow back. But it's kind of narcissistic, meaning they don't want art. They, they really, these kids, those kind of kids don't want art. They want jams, and which is okay. I mean, hey, that's the way it was in the 50s, and that's the way it was in the 40s, and all throughout history, music was just that. It's only in the 60s and 70s did music turn into a really transportive experience for a mass culture. Before that, it was just like, okay, let's dance, you know? So I'm thankful that there is still movements of people out there willing to be carried away um, by their music, you know? And I'm hoping that it'll stick around and evolve into something where the lyrical content of some of these bands, especially the metal bands, will evolve into something that's a little bit smarter than what they're given now. It's, we don't just need a fantasy trip, you know, and, and it doesn't matter how many ways, how many different explanations of hell you can give somebody, you know? I mean, hell's getting kind of boring. And, and you know, the whole, like, oh, I'm going to get you, I'm a demon, you know? It's like, you know, enough, enough with the demons. We, I, we, we've had, like, 35 years of demons. You can get sarcastic, which is what I try to do with my music, and it's probably why my music hasn't sold as well as some of these bands. <laughs> but you can make comments about society. You can be sarcastic and you can fit in humor and you can fit all this stuff in, in there and still transport people. Um, there's no excuse to be dumb in the 21st century. So I'm hoping that music, um, especially uh, loud music and experimental music and that kind of stuff will rise to the challenge and, finally be so a little bit more ambiguous and more um, assured that they're getting their message across to other smart people. It's not just rebel music, which is mostly metal is rebel music. You know, in my opinion, most metal stands for, Hey, I'm sick and tired of working. And now I'm going to put on this loud thing and I'm going to crush you with a monster truck. You know, right. yeah. um, but there is the transportive element. And I, I hope that, that, uh, these guys will get outside outside and ahead of that. There are a lot of kids around who know what they're doing. Sure. Um, and really, really, really good bands and really cool music. They're just, 
it's being crushed by pop. I mean, it gets the overwhelming majority of kids out there want pop or no music at all. I mean, rock is, I was reading the other day, rock is, is only, and that includes metal. Rock in general is 15% of the total mark. Wow. That's it. So that means metal is like 1%. Right. And the chance of it ever being played on the radio is, is almost... <laughs> not unless you're like, not unless you're... A very specific like, subculture. Uh, yeah, well, and not unless you, you sold like a billion albums back in the day. Like if right, you're Metallica, right, right. you'll always get paid, played because you, you already made the money. You know, so, you know, if a band was big in the last big rock surge of the 90s, that's probably it for classic rock bands forever. You'll never see another classic rock band because they don't get the chance to make those numbers. So history and classic rock radio will always play classic rock. And Metallica is one of the last bands to fit in there. Metallica, the Foo Fighters because of Nirvana. And they're like, yes, here's the example of rock. You know, here's the example of rock today. But it's like, no, that's the example of rock in the 90s. It's like, what about all these kids traveling across Europe, playing gigs for 100 people, writing great songs? Like, yeah, like you said, great bands. Uh, there, there yeah. is, there's so much good music out today. And these poor bastards, I mean, they're out there trying to sell T-shirts. I mean, that's the way they survive. Like, they should be making money on their music. But that's a whole another story because music has been thrown, by, their music has been thrown behind a paywall by Spotify and Apple Music. Yeah, that, that, I think, uh, and especially I suppose then uh, because of the lockdown, uh, most artists were, were making their living through touring, right? Yeah, because there, there's hardly any money in the music anymore. And that's because of a couple of things. One, the Napster thing that started, did, you know, digitization just destroyed the chance for anybody to make money on music, except for big companies. Then big companies took their music, put it behind a paywall called Spotify mm. and Apple Music, and in turn ripped everybody off. So, I mean, the last person that gets money for music is the artist. That's the that's last such, person. Yeah, that's such a, such a strange system. If you but think it's about the same it. old story. Yeah, with the, yeah strange system. Um, so, You literally have to get out there and go, please buy this shirt. Not because it's a shirt, but because it represents my music. It's all fucked up. I mean, it's like you shouldn't have to sell a shirt to sell your music. Sell the music. But that's the way it's become. So the lockdown really kicked ass on all that stuff. But I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, that's only one year or a year and a half. It'll be back. I think when it comes back, live music's probably going to be bigger than it ever was before. Well, I, I was going to say, and I want to end on a positive note, but so, so yeah. I have a similar thought that people are so starved for it that once we are able to listen to live music again, that, that people will go nuts. I, I really yeah. believe that. And, you know, someday the, the, the kids that we're talking about that are holding the flame up, because really these bands that we're talking about, <clears throat> many bands that, that, really hit the road all the time and they're out there trying to do as much as they possibly can doing really, really good shows for five people, 50 people, a hundred people, more, less, but always right. doing good shows. Someday these guys are going to be in charge. Someday they're not going to be 21 anymore. They're going right. to be the president of the company. And you see what happens then. 
It's all cyclical. You get a generation of people that come into enough money and enough power, and believe you me, they will have their way. So these guys will have their day. They're just going to have to seize control. It's like Marvel Comics, you know? Mm. You know, Marvel Comics and all those things, they never were treated with any kind of monetary, real monetary success for years because the age group of the people that read them and loved them weren't the age group of the people that signed the checks at the studios. Right. Once they get old enough, they go, hey, I remember Spider-Man and stuff. It's like, yeah, I don't see why, why, why can't that go? Why can't we push that down people's throats? Not that that's an, it, it, not that, that is an example of artistic integrity, but you know what I mean? It's like, Sure. I mean, you have a whole generation now of, of people who are in their 40s, 50s who grew up with that stuff and would love to see that right. realized. And that's what's going to happen with, with what's going on now. And it's like, um, I never give up on music getting better. I mean, the um, musicians are fine. They're probably better than they've ever been. Sure. And there's more access to information on music than ever was before. All the tools are there for um, great music to be made all the day. Uh, all day and all night. It's just like, are the ears there to listen to it? Mm. Are there enough ears to make it a thing? Do, do people care that much? We'll have to go through a couple generations of dance kids before they learn their lesson. But I'm, I'm very hopeful to, to, end, uh, to end this uh, interview. I think I'm very hopeful. Yeah, me too. Like you said, it, it's a, both a cyclical thing and even um, within kind of all the all the genres that still exist you do notice that that lines are beginning to blur and that that music does um it's 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 less regulated by by the pure genre of it so so yeah. there is more leeway i would say here and there i would love it if a couple mainstream pop divas would just at least give a shout to what's going on in the rest of the world well that's that's the thing because i've i've been interviewing uh musicians for the past eight years and in the last couple of years there have been a lot of uh, musicians who speak out against the trump and all that stuff but it's never yeah. the the really big ones it's never the you never hear ed sheeran say something no. Or, or no they just were like Whoo, no thanks we're gonna ride this out we're gonna it's they are really super rich entertainers mm. first and they are musicians and artists second that's where the big you know Look, I mean, they get to choose who they want to be. And if they choose not to express or ignore their own feelings by not expressing through their art, they just catapulted themselves into their number one category is rich entertainer. Right. Artist second. And they would be pissed off at me, but that's just the way it is. No, but and, and I don't want to argue that every artist has to speak out. If they don't want to, that's fine. But it's it's just interesting that you don't hear the big ones talk yeah. about it. It's, it's yeah, just interesting course. that a whole group of, of kind of the upper echelons never talk about it. It's very suspect. That they know? only talk about things that are already accepted, like especially now with the Black uh, Lives Matter. Obviously, yeah. that's a good thing to support. So yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's what everybody's right. doing, but that's not pushing the agenda. It's, it's, um, we could go in. I mean, it's very interesting because the world has become a lot smaller place. Um, everybody's listening to everyone else's shit all the time. Mm. Um, the social media, like I said, talk is, you know, talk is now cheaper than anything uh, than it's ever been forever. So there's a lot of pressure on people to behave in a certain way. And it's coming from all sides. Mm. And 
I don't see any real good guys in all of this. Um, American media right now would like to say that, you know, simple things like if you watch Fox News, you're a bad guy. And if you watch CNN, you're a good guy. To me, they're both bad guys. <laughs> Fair enough. You know what I mean? They're both bad guys. I mean, one guy's trying to be a supervillain. And it's succeeding by Fox being I'm going to supervillain. I'm going to like I'm the supervillain and I'm going to like the hate monger in uh, Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go and get our money. From from the easiest way you get money, scare people, have people watch you all the time because they think you're going to help. them. On the other side, you've got CNN who are like, we're the good guys. And if if you're a really good person, you'll come along with me because we think that's horseshit. They're, they're like that until you disagree with them. As soon as you yeah, disagree with right. them, then, then they're, you're... <laughs> they're multi-million dollar earning TV yeah. entertainers yeah. that have learned from Fox that if you pick a side and bolster that side, those people will be loyal fans. So they're not news, they're entertainment. They want fans. They don't want news watchers, they want fans. Yeah. CNN has fans. Fox News has fans. Meanwhile, you and I sit in the middle going... What the fuck am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to make up my mind? And it's just so I just read the facts and I leave the opinions to the to the rest of the world, which seem to be no shortage of opinions these days. Too, too many. And I've always well, I have to round off this interview. So so uh, first, uh, Dave, thank you yeah. very much for taking the time uh, to talk with me. I'm sorry sure. to talk about so much about American culture and that kind of stuff, but it's just really interesting to it, me. And it's very interesting. It's like the story of the day. Like until we can get through culture, until we can sort through the culture thing, I don't see how art is you know, until art becomes part of the culture again. I don't see how all the stuff that you and I love, it's going to matter as much as it could because it could matter a lot more. I mean, I can easily imagine a life that's more focused on art and expression than paying close attention to every little fact that comes out. I mean, that's boring. We weren't put on this planet to like count crunch numbers and pay attention to every little goddamn thing. We were put on this planet to create stuff, express our emotions in broad strokes, not in tiny little, I mean, that's for politicians. And now everyone's becoming a politician. It doesn't make sense. All right. All right, Dave. Thank you. So oh, there you go.